1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up at the proper time. I'd come across this verse shortly after college when I was looking for a job. It was a reminder that God was in control and that he would provide the right opportunity at the right time. I mentioned this verse to my dad back then, and he asked me to write it down for him. Four years later when he died, that scrap of paper was still in his wallet. I thought he kept it just because it was from me, not really a verse that he needed. I mean, he had it all together already. Looking back, I see that this verse isn't just for the big things in life. It's also for the constant struggles and the daily decisions we make. And remember that God is more powerful than I am. My dad knew that, but he still needed a reminder not to think so much about what he would do, but about what God wanted him to do, and that God would fulfill those plans. I'm still learning that too. Great to be with all of you, and a special welcome if you're a visitor among us, and for those joining us on the podcast as well. I'm Scott Mann. I'm one of the associate pastors here at our church, and I've been looking forward to preaching on this passage since uh, Phil sent it in a couple months back. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. In the video, Phil and his dad remind us that sometimes our perspective needs adjustment when we're down, when things aren't going the way we'd like. This verse reminds us that God wants to lift us up, whatever in our life is bringing us down. And we're all painfully aware of the down times, aren't we? Everyone has them. As Jesse said last week, sometimes we're beat down by others. Sometimes we suffer because we live in a fallen world where there's disease and disaster. Sometimes we're down because of our own choices or our inner anxieties and fears, doubts, and loneliness. The downtimes come for all of us, but this scripture says God wants to lift us up, and that's good news. But this great verse is even more powerful in its larger context. The Apostle Peter wrote these words to Christians who are experiencing significant challenges, suffering, and even persecution. He encourages the church in several ways, and he gives instructions for how to cope when life goes downhill. I'll focus a little later on Peter's main message, but for now, take note of these two things as I read the passage. What good news do you hear? What bad news do you hear? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
So Peter doesn't sugarcoat the bad news. The devil is real. Our anxieties are real. Suffering is real. Our own suffering and the suffering of our brothers and sisters around the world. And maybe the worst bad news of all, suffering can last a while. One of my best friends has been suffering for a long time. He's been mistreated and he's significantly impacted emotionally, physically, financially. But the worst part is that he sees no end in sight. It's not obvious to him how his situation can change this side of heaven. And Peter speaks into situations just like this, real life. Peter is fully aware that we live in a fallen world where injustice and violence, disease, poverty, and sin are all too common. But he reminds us of the good news, the bigger picture, the deeper truth. And this good news has changed the lives of real people for centuries. If you feel hopeless, like there's no end in sight, listen and believe to what Peter says. First and foremost, God loves you. God has called you as his beloved child. God cares for you. He cares for the big stuff like cancer and all the daily little things of life that take up our time and our energy. Peter knows that when we're down, we're tempted to doubt God's love. It feels like he doesn't care, he's not paying attention. So Peter repeatedly assures us that the God of all grace cares for us, each one of us, and all the things in our life that cause us anxiety. Second, God is powerful. His mighty hand of deliverance is able to lift you up. Peter writes the only reference in the whole New Testament to God's mighty hand, which is a direct reference to the Exodus, when God delivered his people from great suffering with awesome power. Suffering and death are real, but God is bigger and far more powerful, and he is mighty to save. As I studied this passage, I noticed that Peter addresses two of the other main questions we ask when we suffer. Peter repeats the word because more than anything else, because we ask why. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? He also repeatedly refers to time because we ask, how long? When will this end? Peter knows we ask why and how long, so he speaks to it even though he's actually more concerned to tell us what to do when we're down. Peter realizes we can't always know why or how long, but he's crystal clear about what we can know for sure. God's purposes are good, and suffering is not forever. God is absolutely committed to restoring you, to bringing wholeness to you and to everything. And God is absolutely committed to help you mature, to become deeper in your faith and trust. Even when we don't understand the whys and the how-longs of our trouble, God's love and power 
can redeem them into opportunities to mature us and fulfill his purposes. You can even thrive right now in the midst of suffering. And that brings us to Peter's main interest in this chapter. As I studied it, the biggest surprise to me was how Peter responded to this whole situation of suffering. He clearly knows his people are down, so I expected him to encourage them, and he does that, as we've seen. But Peter surprised me by giving them a bunch of commands. He wants to tell them how to cope, what to do in the down times. He doesn't just want to talk about suffering. He tells them what to do more than eight times. And the most surprising thing is what, is what he tells them to do. When they're down, his main command is to humble themselves. What? They're already about as low as you can get. They're discouraged, anxious, fearful, poor, sick, imprisoned, and even persecuted. You name it, they're feeling it. They are down. And Peter tells them to humble themselves. It's the crux of the whole chapter. And to emphasize the point, he repeats it three times. It's as if he knows they won't get it on the first round. Well, I didn't get it at first. It completely surprised me. This imperative seems insensitive, callous, sort of kick them when they're down sort of thing. What is he thinking to say that the answer to my troubles is to humble myself before God? How could humility possibly help me when I'm already down? So I studied it some more, and I began to get it. Peter centers on this because he knows it is absolutely crucial to the life of faith. If we don't understand this call to humility, we will never really understand Jesus. And we will live lives of quiet desperation, worried and anxious and fearful and even angry that God isn't fixing everything up. This is important. Doing this changes your life. Peter can't emphasize it enough. Humility is the key. Well, stick with me, and I'll try to explain how this works. All through the Bible, it says there are essentially two kinds of people in the world, the humble and the proud. The proud seek control. They think highly of themselves and their power to get things done. They want to captain their own ship to manage their lives so they get what they want. The humble seek God. They think highly of God and his love and power to accomplish his purposes. They know control is an illusion and that only God is trustworthy to know what is best. So the humble want whatever God wants. The way of the proud is actually the way to anxiety and fear. If it's up to me to make sure that I get what I want, then everyone and everything else uh, needs to serve my purpose. And it all depends on me to get the stars aligned. But I don't actually control the universe. I can't control other people most of the time. Sometimes I can't even control myself. So the proud, in their effort to get to the top, 
create their own hell. If we stop to think about it, we all know the downside of up. Every day we hear about celebrity divorces, rock star overdoses, and the first world epidemics of stress-related disease and suicides. When we see people shine brightly only to finish poorly, it's sad. We all know the downside of up. It's miserable for everybody. But rarely do we come to our senses and consider the upside of down. From beginning to end, the Bible teaches there is a huge upside to down. It's not just Peter here. It's all over the Bible, and it's especially central in Jesus' teaching. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It goes on and on. So many examples. The humble focus on submitting to God and letting God lift them up. They know they don't have it all figured out, but God does. They know they can't control anything they want, but God can. The humble can actually face reality and deal with it without pretending or denying or avoiding. Only the humble can actually learn and grow because they can acknowledge their limits. Best-selling author and researcher Jim Collins was surprised to discover that the greatest leaders demonstrate remarkable humility despite their impressive achievements. They face reality, make sacrifices, encourage other leaders, and focus all their efforts, not on their own egos, but on their mission to serve. So humility is not being a passive doormat or wasting the gifts we've been given. Jim Collins, good to great leaders, demonstrate that in spades. No, humility is not timid or weak. Peter says, be humble, and then he immediately warns us of evil and commands us to resist it in very strong language. But the way Jesus resists evil is absolutely counterintuitive, and it's also absolutely effective. Many of the world's powerful, most powerful world-changing leaders have been humble as well as hardworking, determined, and courageous. Foremost, of course, is Jesus. But we can think of people such as Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, Desmond Tutu, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, all these people are indomitable leaders who resisted evil and transformed cultures. And without exception, their most notable trait is their courageous humility, their single-minded determination to sacrifice themselves in order to lift others up. Okay, so what's a simple, easy-to-remember definition for humility? Someone who is up choosing to step down to lift others up. Someone up realizes that we all have gifts to give. We've all been given something. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Humility assumes a certain dignity. And the humble choose willingly. They're not forced. That's humiliation. That's oppression. We choose willingly to step down. Stepping down in some way admits our limits our dependency, we accept help, 
we serve, we submit. And the humble step down in order to lift others up. We serve God and others over ourselves. We use our resources for the sake of others. Obviously, this is the pattern Jesus modeled in his incarnation from heaven to earth, crucifixion, and resurrection and glorification. This is the pattern of faith. And Jesus, Peter, and the whole Bible call us to follow this pattern. So let's say we wanted to heed God's call to be humble, even though it flies in the face of everything we generally think. How does a person get to be more humble? Do we refuse compliments? Do we minimize our strengths? No. Actually, it's not that complicated to understand. It's just not that easy to do. It takes practice. I've been practicing for years, and now I'm the humblest guy I know. (laughs) Maybe you're like me, and you need a little bit more practice. Here are three ways to become more humble. First step is to admit you have a problem. First, admit you're proud. To some degree, your natural instinct is to go after what you want, even if that's not what Jesus would want. At some level, we crave control and independence. We want to be right. We want others to look up to us. Maybe we want to look down on other people so we feel better about ourselves. If you cannot admit the areas of pride within, you will never grow in true humility. You can pretend false humility, but that's just pride masquerading. In our pride, we also must admit that we actually don't know everything. You all know who knows everything, right? God and young adults. Um, God blesses us with young adults as living reminders in our own families for us. When I was that age, I thought I knew a lot But thankfully, I was taught to remind myself over and over again, I never know the whole story. As much as I might know about a person's situation or about uh, some situation in the world, I never know the whole story. This has been huge for me in my own growth in humility and compassion. I recommend it for all ages. You never know the whole story. So admitting our pride and acknowledging our limits, this is the first step. Second, to grow in humility, we choose to step down, to put ourselves under God. We've sung about that. We choose to trust God, to receive his love and forgiveness, his gifts. As as Jesse said last week, we don't wait around for our feelings. We choose to trust, not because we feel like it, but because God is trustworthy, loving, and powerful. Phil and his dad are like us. We all need reminders that our perspectives, our problems are small compared to the awesomeness of God. This verse can help us reframe our perspective. Maybe put it in your wallet or stick it up on your mirror. Another great way to practice stepping down is to imitate other people who are humble. Jesus' disciples learned humility by watching him day in and day out. We can imitate people in the Bible who learned humility, like Joseph or Naomi or Ruth, David, Job, Esther, 
or imitate humble role models in your own life, people that have made progress in this. Third, we grow in humility by lifting others up. Service is perhaps the easiest way to grow in humility. We serve God and we serve others in various ways with whatever we've been given. Time, money, relationships, skills, influence, whatever. We can all cultivate a God-centeredness and an other-centeredness and practice self-sacrifice. Sometimes athletes can be some of the best examples of this. We've had a great week in sports uh, this week. Roger Federer just made it to his 10th Wimbledon final again this weekend. In interviews, he is famous for praising his competitor's performance after he wins. And, the, and how about our women's World Cup soccer champions? They repeatedly modeled self-sacrifice and lifted up their teammates, their coaches, their competitors, even their predecessors, all the people that helped them get to where they were. Whether we are 19 or 90, we can do the same in our schools, our workplaces, even in our families, taking a step down in order to lift someone else up. We all have times when we're down. In those times, Peter says, we have a choice. We can go the way of the proud and raise our fist to God and be a slave to anger or despair or our circumstances. Or we can choose to humble ourselves before our beloved God, who's called us as his children. Even when I don't understand, I choose to trust God's love, power, and his purposes, and we can cast our anxieties to Jesus. In the midst of hard times, it's our humble attitude and actions, not our circumstances, that bring misery or joy. Humility is God's counterintuitive antidote to suffering. For centuries, followers of Jesus have discovered the upside to down, that it brings trust and intimacy, peace and purpose, courage and hope, maturity. We can all choose humility and experience life and joy when life gets rough. Would you pray with me? So Holy Spirit, help us to step down in order to serve you and others and trust that you will give us life and lift us up in your time. Amen. <laughs>